Home Builders, great to have you here today. We're going to go ahead and begin uh, our class and uh, get started. So, uh, if you'll join with me in reading our verse for today, it's Colossians 3, 1 to 3. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you die and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The disciples called me a role model, and this week, knowing and applying God's word. Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus is part of the, of the temptation of Christ. And he is being tempted by Satan himself in the desert after fasting how long? 40 days, 40 nights. Uh, has anyone in here fasted 40 days and 40 nights? Anybody ever do that before? 40 minutes. 40 minutes. <laughs> A couple of you fasted 40 days. Um, and you know that at the end of that, he was, and the scripture says he was hungry. Yes. You think? Some of you fast for a meal, and you're like, I'm starving. <laughs> yeah, we probably don't understand that word, you know, but 40 days would. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Knowing and applying God's word. The word no comes from two primary Greek words, oida and gnosko. Their meanings are very different, though. Okay? Oida means to know something through observation or to know intellectually. All right? You observe it. John 11, 40 to 44. Someone read that for me. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face, Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So here's an experience of oida, that we, which we look at this. Jesus said, I knew this, okay? I knew what you were going to do, but for their benefit, I said it. In other words, I, this is, I want them to experience knowledge in a way that they can see the power and the presence of God. And Jesus then does this incredible miracle. They assumed that Lazarus was stinking because he'd been there for how long? Three days. And they're like, okay, don't push that rock away. It's going to stink. Ever, you know, it's like, I, I hate to be graphic, but you ever go alongside the road and you smell something, all of a sudden you see a dead deer? That's not been there but a day. Imagine the human body after three days. And they're like, oh, that is not going to be good. And he rolls it away and says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes walking out. They, they, in other words, they are observing this knowledge that they're having. They, uh, they're observing 
the power of God. They're seeing it happen. They see what's going on here. This is the knowledge that they have. But gnosko means to know something personally, intimate, or experientially. In fact, it's used, obviously, of intimacy between a man and a woman. Matthew 125 says, but he did not consummate. The word consummate is gnosko, to know their, uh, their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. In the Old Testament, same word, no, and Adam knew his wife. Okay, it's an intimacy, it's a knowledge that is completely personal in nature. John 8.32, the word here, no, is gnosko, and you will know the truth experientially. It's not just you'll have head knowledge, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I remember years and years and years ago, um, and this is, this is not a, a, a slam on the university itself, but the University of Lynchburg, um, at that time Lynchburg College, um, had a professor who taught the Bible. And I know this only because of a student in their class that was having a conversation with me. And this, the professor said, uh, had you know, incredible knowledge of the Bible. And they started their class off by basically saying, we're going to look at this book as literature. It is not the word of God. It is not true. And it's, it, it has nothing to do with reality. But I like looking at it as literature. Historical literature only. See, that professor knew the Bible. He knew information about the Bible. But had no clue on a personal level the application of it in their own life. And we can, unfortunately, we can do the same thing if we're not careful. We can read the scripture for head knowledge and not make it applicable in our daily lives. We can know the word only on an intellectual level, oida, but we never get into the gnosko where it actually changes our behavior. It changes what we do. It changes how we respond. It changes our actions, our thoughts, our motives. But the Bible, the word of God is intended to change us, not just intellectually. Oh, I, I can tell you who the second king of, of Jerusalem was. That's great knowledge. But when you look at it from a perspective of, Lord, change me. So that when you read scripture like, you know, these fruits of the spirit, you read acts of the flesh and acts of the spirit. You have these, be angry, do not let the sin go down upon your anger, your wrath. In other words, you're learning these things. It's like, do you ever go to bed angry? Well, what was the knowledge of that scripture for then? Well, how do we respond in these various situations? The word apply, okay, and the, what we want to know and apply God's word. The word apply means to put into use primarily for a practical purpose. So are we, if we apply God's word, we're putting it into practical use. And we bring it into action. So how can we do these two things with God's word? How can we put it as a practical use and put it into action? Real quick. How do we do that? I have a little saying that I work with. Uh, and I, I use the, uh, the word joy. Jesus, others, and yourself. So you put him first, and you put others second, and then you're third. So you put that in. Yes, 
So you look at the from scriptures and you come up with the acronym joy. You heard that word joy, Jesus, others, yourself. You put that into practice you, you, in a practical way, and then you put it into action by, of course, how you treat Esther. Right? Jesus, others, and then yourself, right? Or in every life situation, somebody else. Great. Crickets are not what I want to hear right now. <laughs> Someone from another department that literally walked down to my office, walked, knocked on my door, and handed me a sticky note. <laughs> and it, the sticky note basically said, all that it said was this, LU Van 543. And I said, what's this? They go, well, someone was outside and they said, LU Van 543 hit your car and took off. <laughs> they probably didn't even realize they hit my car. It was, I, I, you know, they took a picture of it. It was like, okay, this, you know, I, I don't know what. I couldn't really see well because I didn't have my glasses on. So I, said, I called, I called up. Yeah. So I called the police, you know, the Liberty Police, and they came. And I went up there ahead of time as I was waiting for them. I'm going, oh, this isn't too bad. They just cracked my, my the uh, uh, left turn signal light in the back and, and hit the corners a little bit and all that kind of stuff. And the, the police officer comes. And, he, and so he's, he's going through this, and, and I said, it's, it's no big deal, it's okay, don't worry about it, I mean, just let, let's go through the process. And he saw it, he goes, I just can't believe your attitude. You're not ticked off? I go, no, why? What, what good will it do for me to get upset about them hitting my van leaving, or my car leaving? It's like, did they, they may not, like I said, they're in a van. Are they even aware of what they did? Probably not. I doubt it. But they may have. Who knows? It's okay. Why get upset? It's just, it, I said, now if I was between the car and the van, then I would be upset. <laughs> okay. What else? How can we apply this? Yeah. Well, find that word. Uh, I, I'm a real big fan of Dennis Prager. He is a Jew, and we're hoping he becomes a Christian. Actually, my daughter, Lindsay, even wrote him a a letter, please, you know, consider trusting Christ. But he, he has one of his verses that he, you know, his Old Testament is the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And and it, and it really is true if you're 
within the environments like you shared earlier from the, the school, if there's no fear, and when I say fear, I mean to me that just brings up respect, love, but fear too with the Almighty who's all powerful, that then there's no there's no wisdom. And, and if you're in a situation where there's teaching going on, or, or you know, obviously learn about chemistry and it's accepted. When it's talking about life and eternal truths and things like that, if there's if there's no fear of the Lord being taught, then there will be no wisdom. Pretty much it's just a given because it's God's word. And I, and I really like how, you know, how up here at Liberty University the, the students have teachers who fear the Lord and and we're happy that they can get wisdom from that. I think that I think that's true. So the point is this. When you come to class and you hear God's word, we can either just go, that was nice, that was good, that was practical, that was applicable, I liked it. But it's a different thing to walk out of here today and go, I'm going to study God's word to know it and apply it. I'm going to actually put this scripture into practice and do these things. Okay, I'm going to put it into my knowledge in a practical way. I'm going to go home and I'm going to practice this with my family. I'm going to practice it when I go to work. I'm going to practice it when I'm doing life. And then as you read God's word, you learn it, you go, okay, Lord, how do I put this into practice today? How do I apply it to my life so that it actually does something other than just create head knowledge? Okay, the example of Jesus Christ is a role model teacher of knowing and applying God's word. So Jesus knew and used the word against Satan's temptations. Matthew 4, 1 through 11 says this. That Jesus was led by the Spirit. Who was he led by? The Holy Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. To be tempted by who? The devil, Satan himself. Okay, so God allowed Satan to come into the presence of his son and to tempt him. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him, Satan came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You hungry, Jesus? You can do anything. I know you can do anything. Imagine this now. Jesus, he knew, had the power to take that stone and go, bread. And it would become bread. Jesus' answer is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he's now taking the Old Testament scriptures and applying it into this practical situation in his life. He's taking it and go, okay, I'm going to show you what this does. Satan, I've known you forever, how long? When Satan was created, as Lucifer originally, okay? And he says, you know what, Satan, I'm not going to buy into this. You know what? Life is more than food. I wish I believed that. <laughs> exactly. I knew it and then put it into practice. I don't even know if I know it. <laughs> you know, it's what it's the statement. You know, do you live to eat or eat to live. You know, I would. You know, it's like we, I know I did it this past week. Um, you know, it's like I finish lunch and I start thinking about dinner. <laughs> Any of you ever do that before? You know, you talk, you, you go out to dinner on a Saturday, you know, maybe at lunch or breakfast, and you go, "What are we going to have for dinner?" 
That's eating to live, not living to eat. Or living to eat, not eating to live. Okay? Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written. So Satan, now, okay, Jesus used the Bible. I'm going to use the Bible. Let me just say this real quick. People can use the Bible any way they want to out of context for their own purposes. They can take God's word and use it for their own benefit. But it's out of context and it's not in truth. He says, it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. The Father will protect you through the angels. He'll take care of you. You're not going to get hurt. You're going to be okay. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, let me just pause here a moment. We hear this word. Do we put that into practice? Or do we tempt the Lord by doing things and making assumptions? He'll take care of me anyways. I'll put myself in harm's way. He'll take care of me because God loves me. And then how do we respond when we don't, when he doesn't? And we get into a bad situation. Uh, teenagers in here. Young people. Listen. Sometimes you think God loves me and he's going to protect me. It doesn't matter how fast I drive in that car. It doesn't matter what I do over here or do over there. I'll be okay because I'm a Christian. God will take care of me. And then we're disillusioned when that doesn't happen. You've got to be smart. You've got to. That's why we have that wisdom that was just shared. Okay? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge. Okay? It's wisdom. But as adults, we can do the same thing. We put ourselves in a position where if we're not careful, we make mistakes and then say, God, what, where were you? Why didn't you take care of me? When really, we were the ones that put ourselves in that situation. Okay? And unfortunately, it happens at times. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you. Now, why would he say that? I mean, we just read this morning from Colossians that Jesus created it all. And everything was, was created for him and for his pleasure. Why would Satan go... I'll give you this. When, when Adam sinned, he basically handed the keys of this earth over to Satan. He, he, you know, he took that whole creation and, and, and you know, yeah, Mindy. I, I oh, oh, I thought you said something though. Mm -hmm. Oh, I thought, I thought I heard something right here. I, I oh, said, you said I'm sorry. He's the prince of power of the air. He's the prince of power of the air. Absolutely. He's the God of this world, Scripture calls him. <laughs> yeah, then he's like, I didn't say So he's the, he's the prince of power of the air. He's the God of this world. And so in his mind, 
Satan actually believed he was in control. Really? Really? And you know what? How many times do we think we're in control? That we've got this. And in reality, he's Lord. I'm not. I don't have control. But he does. And I'm so grateful for that. And I hope you are too. He says, I'll give it to you. If you just bow down and worship me, Jesus, I'll give it to you. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. <laughs> the angels came, took care of him, but he wanted to take care of things first. And he did it by the word of God. He knew it and applied it in that situation. That's why we constantly, and I'm trying to do this in my own life, get in the word, get in the word, listen to the word, listen to the word, hear the word, read the word, memorize the word, get it into our life. Why? Because we may not need it right now. At this very moment in our life, that knowledge isn't applicable to us. And you're wondering, why, why am I reading this? That doesn't make any sense. And then all of a sudden, it happens over here. On this date, I needed it. And then the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to bring back to my remembrance the things I read. And I can now apply it. Because I've got it into my head and my heart. And I've memorized it. Cheryl said it out loud yesterday. Psalm 119, uh, 105. You, that, that word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sit against thee. And see, we, we learn God's word so that we can see clearly how to walk. Because we don't know how to walk clearly on this earth. We don't know this, but Satan didn't understand. He thought, I'm, he was arrogant and prideful. That's why he got kicked out of heaven. Because he wanted to be like God. And even here, he's thinking the same thing. I want to be like God. I want to be in control. And I want to get Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Son, to bow and worship me, and then I've got him. But he took the word of God, Jesus did, and applied it back. Jesus knew and used that word against Satan's temptations. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. He was tempted by hedonism, the lust of the flesh. Satan did the lust of the flesh in his life, Matthew 4, 3 and 4. Okay? Make these stones bread. The lust of the flesh. Hedonism. You know, hedonism is that idea where we want pleasure over pain. It's not a bad idea. I mean, who wants pain in their life? And yet at times, suffering is helpful for us. In other words, if all we want is our needs met, we will never be like Jesus. It, it will destroy a marriage. It will destroy a friendship. It will destroy your Christian life. If you're at the hedonist who says, I want to be pleasured. 
I want pleasure is the highest good. I want to not I want to minimize pain, but you know what? Aren't we thankful that Jesus wasn't a hedonist? First Peter 3:18 says, For Christ also has once suffered for sin. The just from Lou, the unjust, so that he can bring us to God. God the Father. Put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. See, he was tempted by egoism and pride, like we are. Matthew 4, 5, and 7, he stayed fast the other, uh, from the uh, temptation. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Pride. I got this. I am so important, God will take care of me. I am so important that, you know what? The Bible says, if I ask anything in his name, he'll do it. But the Bible also says that we ask amiss. We ask with the wrong motives, right? And God says, no. But the Bible says, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. But it's like, yeah, you can ask anything. But if you ask with the wrong motives and reasons, he's going he's, he's to take care of that one too. And you can know that even in your own life. Okay? If for, for example, if you had a child or if you have a, a person, a friend, anybody, who says, can I ask you a question? If I needed you, your child looks at you, if I needed you, would you be there for me? What's your response going to be? Of course. And do you realize how many movies have illustrated this? How many stories have illustrated this? When we say, when I tell Crystal and Michelle... When they look at me and go, Dad, will you always be there for me? In my head, I go, absolutely. But in my heart, I go, no. Because I can't always be there for you. There's going to come a day when Dad's going to die. And that's a reality. And I'm not going to be there for you. But I hope that I will be there in your head and in your heart from the things that you've taught. Just like the Lord says. I'll be there for you. Put it into practice. I'm always there with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But I've already given you what you need to know. Will you put it into practice? And so sometimes we, we think. But you, you weren't, your word isn't true. No. If you ask anything in my name I'll do it. But also when I, I'll do it. From my perspective. Because I know it's good for you. If, if my kids went trick-or-treating as a kid, and they get a ton of candy, and they go, Daddy, if I ask anything in your name, you'll do it, right? I want to eat all of this. Daddy's going to go, mm -mm, I'm not even praying about that one. Because I'm not going to deal with a sick child all night. We're going to limit this. You get three. What? Four. No. Three. Oh. Okay, four. <laughs> oh, no, 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 one more. <laughs> yeah. Okay, two. You see how we, we can manipulate things and we think we can control things. The bottom line is, is that God is, he, 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 we, we should not be men and women of pride, egoism, this arrogance that thinks I'm in control. No, God is. And I don't want to do anything. I am not going to put the Lord by God to the test. He was tempted by materialism, the lust of the eyes. 
I will give this to you. He'll just bow down and worship me. I'll give this to you. How many things in our life do we just want stuff? And then we get stuff and we're never truly satisfied. We want more stuff. It's just never enough. And God knows that. That's why we worship the Lord. And then you have to call the dumpster to get rid of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, what I would like to say, but I, I don't want to offend anybody. By the way, I have no clue, if, I have no knowledge if any of you still have a, a rented uh, storage facility. So I don't know that. But how many times do we have stuff that we, and then we pay somebody else to store it for us, and we haven't used it in 20 years? You know? Cheryl does that to me all the time. I'll go look for something, and I know it's like, I don't know where that went. I know where it went. It just went. Because I have used it. Do I really need it? You know? Absolutely not. Jesus knew and applied the word of God against human traditions. Matthew 15, 1 to 9. Someone read that for me. Come on, readers. And some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, then why do you break the command of God for the sake of tradition, of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother should be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor you with their lips, but their hearts are far from you. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Human traditions aren't always bad. In fact, many human traditions are very, very good. Can someone give me an example of a good tradition? Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's a good tradition. Christmas. Christmas. Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Family dinner. Family dinner. Father's Day. Father's Day. Passing on the family name. Passing on the family name. Devotions at breakfast table with the family. Breakfast, uh, devotions with, at breakfast time with the family. Yeah. Vacations to the beach. Vacations. Prayer. What? Prayer. Praying. Good. You know, sometimes uh, I also think of things like the Apostles' Creed. You know, some people, churches don't do it. We don't do it at Thomas Road. There are some churches that recite it every single day, every single Sunday. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And, and they go on and they say this. And some people, I don't like that. Just, that's just <coughs> tradition. You know, it's just repetitive. We just say it all the time. You know, some, some do communion every single Sunday. Uh, that, that, no, traditions like that aren't necessarily bad. Now, if they become meaningless, then, then it's, not, it's not good for you because it's not real for you. Okay? 
That's like mealtime, prayers. Some of you mentioned prayer. It's a great thing. But you know what? If we're not careful, prayers can become meaningless. Okay? Father, thank you for this food. Amen. Help me not to choke. In Jesus' name. Okay? And there's nothing wrong. I mean, the question is, why do you pray? Let me ask, why do we pray before a meal? Tradition. <laughs> we always do that way. Sandy. Well, at least not necessarily in every situation we see him doing that, but we see it at the, the Last Supper. He obviously did that. And uh, gathering, he did. Yeah. To show thankfulness to God. To show thankfulness to God. Roger. Deuteronomy tells us to pray after we do this. says, Happy be and are satisfied. Bless the Lord. Yeah. She gets annoyed when they say something like this. Um, well, there could be a shortage on toilet paper, so you may want to go out and get something. <laughs> How do you know there's going to be a shortage? Of, you know, it's like, will there actually be? Are you wanting people to just run out and buy toilet paper? Because then you go to the store and you go, it's gone. And then you find out if your neighbor, maybe it's you, you know, God, no, I'm not criticizing it. You know, people were like, oh, I stopped up my toilet paper. I, I got, you know, 750 rolls in my basement. I'm going to be fine for 10 years. You know, and other people are like, I can't get any. What? Who's poison ivy leaves? Well, the, the bottom line is this. See, the thing is, is that uh, we have this, this artificial idea of what, what is prayer about? Is it just a ritual? Or is it a meaningful way for us to have a conversation with God? Is it just something for us to get over with? Or is it something that we actually do meaningfully? So when we have prayers at night with our kids, are we teaching them to pray? So that later in life, it just becomes natural for them. Do we do this with our grandchildren? Or do we just, you know, or just, you know, whatever. Do we just get it over with? Is prayer something meaningful and purposeful? Or is it something that, that we are trying to do? It's, it's not necessarily tra traditions. See, what was happening here is that they were dealing with a hard issue. You see, what was happening was these Pharisees had created this human tradition of, you know what? In the Old Testament, if a child was rebellious, maybe like a drunkard, and they were squandering the family, the, the, the idea was, interestingly enough, Jesus says, okay, you say it's a gift. In other words, you, rather than taking care of your parents, you put it down and you give it to, like in, in contract with the, 
the temple, it's a gift. So they don't have to take care of you anymore. Where'd they get that from? It was a convenient way for them to get money. Okay? And so the question is, do they have an obligation to provide for a widow? Are they providing for those in need? Or are they taking it away from them? And literally, the punishment was death. And they go, no, 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 it's, it's a gift. Don't worry about it. You're not responsible anymore. And Jesus actually brings this up, even though Jesus didn't necessarily follow this either in the sense of, it's like, wait, do you, Look at the, the child, the, the, the child who said, I want my inheritance now. And he squandered it off and became a drunkard. So his illustration there as well was like, even though you have a rebellious son, I'm not saying you have to kill him. I'm talking about a heart issue here. See, the heart issue that you created a tradition so you don't have to apply the word of God. It's manipulative. Does God love grace? Yes. Are you grateful for the grace of God? Yes. Me too. 100%. Okay? So the issue here is, it's the heart. Are we doing things with the right heart and the right attitude? And that's where Jesus is addressing it here. And the Pharisees had the wrong heart attitude. Well, I pray this morning, as we finish this lesson now, and we'll go pick it up again next week. The bottom line is this. Are we learning? Are we knowing God's word and putting it into practice? Are we actually applying it or is it convenient for us? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us unconditionally. Thank you for grace. God, I pray that we won't be just hearers of your word, but doers of it. That we won't just have a bunch of head knowledge. But that when we walk out of these doors today, or maybe even while we're still here, we put into practice what we know. God, I think through our worship, we would, we would blow you away as our God if we just practiced what we knew. Help us to do that, Lord. From the youngest to the oldest of us in this room. Be with those who are away from us today, who are sick, who are hurting, who are quarantined. God, I pray that you'll bring us all back together here safely this fall. We look forward to that. Bring healing to so many who are hurting. And be with our first responders. Be with our nurses and doctors. Strengthen them, Lord. They are so exhausted. Bless them. I pray for Cheryl. Give her wisdom with her doctors as they make decisions this week about next steps for her. And I pray that you would guide and direct them in that. We love you, Lord. And I pray that we worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all. Have a great week.